0: (laughs) Well, thank you guys. Thank you Vince for the most awkward introduction I've ever had. Um, Really helps me feel prepared for this morning. It's really good to be here with you guys. Um, I've, like Vince said, I've, I've known him for a while and uh, Vince actually gave me my first onstage opportunity at Redemption. Um, I did scripture reading and I was super nervous and you guys don't know this about me because this is the first time I've been here, but I used to do uh, spoken word poetry. So I just read scripture. Like I was doing a spoken word piece and people were like, well, that's really cool. And I was like, wow, I wasn't trying to be cool. I was just nervous. And that was like my flinch, my go-to. So I landed a gig reading scripture and have just been around. And so I'm thankful for Vince, uh, for his friendship and leadership and the opportunities he's given. Uh, My wife and I ran uh, Tempe's junior and senior high school ministry. And so we would do winter camp up here and we'd have an opportunity to come up and hang out with you guys on the Sunday during winter camp with our high school kids. Um, They're just a bunch of awkward high school kids. So thank you for being nice to them. But really in all honesty, it's awesome to be here. It's so cool to hear about what God is doing in and through you guys up here in Flagstaff to hear about how you're partnering with uh, the elementary schools and in the foster care system and trips to Guatemala and all of these really amazing things. It's encouraging to be part of this, this congregation, this redemption um, congregation throughout the state and and to see how God is moving in different communities. And I I don't know about you guys, but for me this time uh, during this sermon on the Mount series has been, has been really good. It's been really challenging as, As this is a somewhat familiar passage for me, um, I started going to church like end of junior high, early high school, and got involved with the youth group, and the girls were cute, so I stuck around. And and kind of throughout my church life, I've heard a lot of these passages before. And, And I've heard them almost as if Jesus was like, I don't know, like Jesus worked for a fortune cookie company. Like he had these little sayings and he just kind of like threw them together and then Matthew just compiled them. And so it's like, hey, here's something about lust and throw in one about greed. And I think Jesus said something about judging people one time. We'll throw that in there too. Um, But the approach that we've taken as a church is really, no, this is one sermon. And and Jesus is making a point here. He's actually teaching his people in a coherent way, not a lot of little bits that are kind of stuck together and we can just extract one whenever we feel like it. And so throughout the weeks, we see Jesus started with the Beatitudes. This is what it looks like if you're a citizen of this kingdom of heaven, right? Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. And he goes through and and he challenges the people. He says, if you're gonna be part of this kingdom, then you have to understand this isn't something that you keep private, but actually I'm challenging you. I'm telling you what it's like if you're part of the family, you are salt. That means your presence must be in the parts of the world that are decaying. You are light, so you must be in the darkness. Jesus goes on to challenge his hearers and and he talks about lust and and anger and retaliation. And you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. And so we see where the people have, have found the line. You know the line, right? Like when you were in, high school, what was the line that I shouldn't cross? Remember the line? The people found the line in a lot of different areas. And Jesus says, guys, I'm gonna blow up your line. It's not about how close to sin can we get, but rather how fast and how far can we run into the Father's arms? And Jesus starts using this imagery of Father. He's calling God Father. And if you've been around church for a while, that's probably nothing new. But in this context, hearing God as Father would have been revolutionary nobody would have called god father lord judge king really important heavy sounding things yes but something as intimate as father people just didn't interact with god in that way or think about god in that way and so jesus continues to challenge the people and he's telling them this is what it looks like in god's family And how we view God really shapes how we approach this sermon and scripture as a whole. I used to teach in Northern California at a private Christian high school and I got to teach a mission elective. And so one of the exercises that we would do is I would ask my students, okay guys, close your eyes. Imagine God. Think about it. What is God like? Maybe for some people, what does God look like? What kind of expression is on his face? Is he looking at you? Is he looking away from you? How do you imagine God? And I would get a variety of answers. I would get some things that you would expect, like I'm in a private Christian high school, so God is like an angry principal who has a clipboard and, and makes a little check mark every time I sin or I make a mistake or I do something wrong. You know, other people would talk about how, you know, God's kind of like Santa Claus or at least my parents at Christmas time. And like, I'm going to get something good. It may not be exactly what I want, but like, meh, good enough. W- one girl said something heartbreaking. She said, I-, I view God like my dad. Always too busy doing really important business to ever have time for me. And in the midst of the heaviness of that moment, this 14-year-old sophomore in high school, his name's Spencer. Raises his hand and he says, Mr. V, I view God like the crocodile hunter. (laughs) I was like, dude, she's sharing her heart, and you're calling God the crocodile hunter. Do you guys remember The Crocodile Hunter? (laughs) Wow, I didn't know there was a fan club in, in Flagstaff for The Crocodile Hunter. This is good. So if you don't remember the crocodile hunter, uh, his name was Steve Irwin and he had a TV show on Animal Planet and he would wear, there's probably a name for it, but like the khaki safari outfit. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. And, and he would be in the jungle or in the swamps or somewhere and, and he would um, like jump on top of the most dangerous animals. So like if there was a crocodile, hunt, uh, crocodile, he would run and like jump on top of it and like talk to it and talk to the camera about it and kind of a goofy guy, Australian guy with an accent. And, and, and so I challenged Spencer, Spencer and I, I said, man, she just said something really intimate. You're calling God the crocodile hunter. You either need to clarify what you're saying or apologize. What do you mean God is the crocodile hunter? He said, no, Mr. V, I'm being serious. Think about it. The crocodile hunter loves animals. He devoted his entire life to animals. He even built places that were safe for animals and would teach people about animals so that they could be protected and, and they could grow and they could have animal babies and, and they would be healthy and they wouldn't be endangered anymore. He was like, and he even gave his life being with dangerous animals. He, he died swimming with um, you guys do know the Crocodile Hunter. Thank you. So with the stingray, he was, he was actually um, stung in the heart or stabbed in the heart, and, and he ended up dying. He gave his life being with the animals. I was like, wow, that's really good. That's a really good image of, of what God is like. Now, it's not complete, and it's not perfect, but it's helpful. And so throughout this sermon, Jesus is helping us to reimagine what God is like. And he calls God at least 15 times in the sermon, the father, your father sees, your father knows, your father will provide, your father will bless. And so that's where we find our passage today. in, in the midst of this, last week, Jesus was um, encouraging his hearers to, to not be anxious or not worry because God knows what we need. You don't have to be God. God is God. And this week, you guys heard he's instructing his hearers not to judge. So let's jump into to chapter seven, verse one. If you guys don't have a Bible, um, we have people here that can bring you a Bible. We have the ushers will come down and bring you a Bible. Just raise your hand. If you need a Bible, they'll bring one to you. If you don't own a Bible, this is, this is your copy to keep. Go ahead and slip up your hand if you need a Bible. We'll be in Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse one. couple in the front. And Jesus says this, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus is telling the people that are listening to a, to a sermon not to judge. This passage probably feels Somewhat familiar. It seems like most people are at least familiar with this concept, even from the great theologian Tupac, only God can judge me. More people knew Steve Irwin than Tupac. Wow, okay, I'm out of my element here in Flagstaff. We're familiar with this. It's been said that in previous generations, almost everyone knew John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him, right? You guys know this but current generations know this verse. Don't judge me, bro. Only God can judge me. We get these tattoos, only God can judge me. Don't judge one another. And so what's Jesus doing here? Well, I think he's he's continuing to explain what it's like in God's family. Some theologians have said that adoption is at the center of the gospel and Jesus is calling God the Father. He's inviting us into this family. And so he's giving us this snippet of what the family culture is like. So when my wife and I were dating, I took the long drive from Northern California down to Southern California to meet her family. And as we were driving, my wife started to say things that took me a while to process what was going on. She, she first started by saying, um, hey, just so you know, my my." dad sometimes can kind of be a little bit intense and I'm like driving puppy love, like, Oh, it's great. Awesome. And so we're driving. She's like, yeah, um, my dad was in the military and I'm like, Oh, cool. Okay. Awesome. Thankful for his service. That's great. Cool. We drive a little bit more. And she's like, yeah, he was, he was a Marine, um, actually a combat vet in Vietnam. And I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. She's like, no, I don't think you're hearing me. My dad can be intense. And I'm like, Oh, okay. She's preparing me for something. So we get to the door, I'm super nervous. I meet her dad, he shakes my hand, I think he mutters a hello, and then we sit down in the living room. I'm sitting on a couch that goes this way. He's sitting on a couch that's perpendicular, and he just stares at the side of my face and doesn't say a word. It was super intense, but she knew what her family culture was like. She also knew that her dad's kind of a jokester and likes to freak guys out, and so she gave me that heads up, right? I have a great relationship with my father-in-law now. He's a very wonderful man. Uh, I Nothing but respect for him. But my wife was smart, she still is smart, and and she has great insight. And so she knew in order for me to get along in the family, I'd have to have a glimpse of what family culture was like. I should have reciprocated the favor, but I didn't quite do that. So the following Christmas we we spent with my family. And if you're ever, for whatever strange reason, in Northern California, hanging out with my family at Christmas time, um, there's only one thing you need to know. It's the movie Christmas Vacation which Chevy Chase. You guys know this movie? Okay, so this is, yes. So this is how it goes. We eat Thanksgiving dinner. After the meal, we watch Christmas Vacation. We eat Christmas dinner. And after the meal, we watch Christmas Vacation. As many times in between as we can fit Christmas Vacation, we watch Christmas Vacation. So for my family, we do this really awesome thing where like a split second before the actors say their lines, we say their lines because we're awesome and hilarious. But it turns out like if you don't know every single line in Christmas Vacation and you haven't done this for years, apparently this is like the most annoying way to ever watch a movie. I don't know. So I should have given my wife the heads up of, hey, this is what you should expect in my family at Christmas time. We're going to be super annoying with Christmas vacation. That's just kind of how it goes. I I didn't give her that heads up. And so that was like a weird, awkward, like what is going on with these strange people? (laughs) Guys, I think Jesus is doing the same thing. And I think he's making a couple points here. This first one is obviously not to judge. Now, hear what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, do not judge. He's not saying, do not discern. He's not saying, don't use sound judgment. He's saying, you are not dad. God is the father. God is the judge. So if we're gonna get along in this family culture, we need to know that. We need to start there. It's not our place to decide who makes it into heaven and who doesn't. It's not our place to decide when someone is just worthless, beyond help, beyond hope, we can wash our hands and be done with them. That's not our place. Jesus is saying exactly what I tell my boys. I have a five-year-old and a two and a half-year-old, and at times they get it right, and other times, not so much. My five-year-old, and with hopefully really good intentions, will try to help his brother. But then there's those other times where it's like, Micah, the little one's name is Micah. Micah, if you don't listen, you're going to get a swat. Whoa, buddy. <laughs> Calm down. You're not the dad. Some of you guys have siblings, and you can understand this. Some of you guys are parents, and you live through this day in and day out. You're not the dad. It's great when my oldest helps his little brother. It's a problem when my oldest assumes the role of father. That's not his job. His job is to be a loving brother. His job is to be concerned with his his brother's behaviors to an extent, but not to pronounce final judgment. That's dad's job. So if we're gonna get along in this family, we, we have to understand what our role is. Our role is a sibling. Scripture says we're adopted as sons and daughters. We're not called to be this ultimate definitive judge. That's God's job. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I love his quote. He he talks about this in his book, Life Together. And this is what he says. He says, if my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I'm still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. How can I possibly serve another person in unfeigned humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? See, Bonhoeffer has great insight into what Jesus is warning us against. We tend towards thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Like we have this right, this this right to pronounce judgment, to, to judge one another for any number of things. But Bonhoeffer reminds us, hey, there's sin in your life too. We all have those things. Jesus goes on to describe it like this. He uses a somewhat funny illustration. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your eye, that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? The the image here is, is a tiny little piece of dust in the brother's eye compared with a beam that would have supported a roof in your own eye. This is what Bonhoeffer is getting at, that we all have that sin. He's reminding us that we all have that sin in our own hearts. It's not good for us to assume that we can judge another person while we have sin in our own hearts. This is A high call. And some of us know, we know what it's like to have something in our eye. Maybe you don't. I do. Uh, A couple, maybe two months ago, I I woke up in the morning and I I felt like I had something in my eye. And I told my wife, I'm like, "Ah, I think I got something in my eye. I don't know if I scratched my eye when I was asleep. And progressively throughout the day, it got worse. And worse and worse to the point in the evening, that I was like, I couldn't open my eye. I didn't know what was going on. Um, my wife is really good at like Googling what's wrong with you and finding out what disease you have that's probably going to end your life next week. Um, but this time she, she got it right. She did a great job. I had what's called um, trichiosis, which I'd never heard of. Basically what we found out was that underneath my eyelid, an eyelash was growing. It hurts so bad. And so she had to like lift, <laughs> she lifted my, eye, my eyelid up and got her tweezers. And I was like, wait, what are you doing? Oh my and so we used a series of like warm compresses and she's an, incent, we're an essential oil family, don't judge. Jesus says, don't judge. <laughs> And we'd put oils on and, and warm compress and, and on and on to the point where she was, she was able to like lift my eyelid and get this, this eyelash out. It was one of the most painful things. And instantly I, I like turned into like a four-year-old. I'm like, wait, no, I can't do it. I can't. I need help. Like call 911, right? <laughs> I'm this bawling baby because I have, I have something in my eye. And she thankfully, my wife is awesome. She was calm. We went into the bathroom where we have like really bright light and she could see clearly to get this out. There was nothing I wanted more in my heart than for her to see clearly to get this out. Especially if she was coming towards my eye with like metal tweezers, like that was intense. But this is the image that Jesus gives us here. Because whether we like it or not, we all have stuff in our eyes. We all have that gunk and you know who your real friends are, right? You know who your real friends are because when you're out somewhere, you can give them like, or like the, right? Like, do I have anything in my nose? Do I have anything in my teeth? And your friends will tell you. We've all experienced this. You get home and look in the mirror and it's like, oh, giant booger. Awesome. How long has that guy been living there all day? And no one took the time to tell me. Jesus is calling us into this community, into this family where we care about one another where we can take the speck out of our own eyes so that we can see, or the log out of our own eyes so that we can see clearly to help our brother or sister. He's calling us because, guys, this is what siblings do. I told you sometimes my, my oldest tries to assume that role of father and, and, and warn and discipline his younger brother, and, and that's not always good, but sometimes, sometimes they get it right. Sometimes, I'll hear my oldest dad's coming from down the hall. We got to clean up our room. Dad's coming. Come on. Come on, Micah. Help me clean up the Legos. Guys, that's what Jesus is calling us to alongside. Alongside those who may have something in their eyes alongside our, our brothers and sisters who may have some sin that they just can't see. I can't see what's in my nose. I need my wife to tell me like, yuck, huge booger, right? Um, Dr. John Del Husay, uh talks about this and I love his quote where he is, he's encouraging us. He, he says, many disciples lose their relevance because they play the role of saved Christian instead of forgiven sinner we are all on the way. Even our failures were part of the way. They may become bridges for others, desperately looking for the next step to have been where they are and for them to see where we are with God offers real hope. We're not called to judge, we're called to be vulnerable. We're called to allow people, give other people in our communities that we know and love and trust permission to remove the log out of our eye, not so that we can just like score like Jesus points, but so that, Jesus says, so that, then you may see clearly. This is a radical call into the family. This is a radical call into true community, not just like hanging out and watching the game, although games are really fun to watch, but actually, being able to speak into one another's lives. This is a call to trust. This is a call, really, to, to live out the Lord's Prayer. Can you guys remember that from a couple of weeks ago? Consider the fact that there are no personal pronouns. It's our Father, not my Father. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses. This is a call into a depth of community that in some ways is terrifying because it means the other person is coming towards one of our most vulnerable areas, our eyes, and and removing what ought not to be there so that we can see clearly. Just like God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that we would be blessed to be a blessing for others. The so that of our blessing is so that we may bless others and it's the same in this passage. Jesus is encouraging us not just to have things removed from our eyes but to speak into other people's eyes as well. You see, we're not the judge. We're not dad. But we are called to be a good big brother or big sister. We are called to come alongside with a posture of humility, to speak truth to those in our communities. There are so many commands throughout the New Testament to love one another, serve one another, meet with one another, all of these one another commands. We cannot live out our faith in isolation. God did not design his family to be siloed, but to live life together to speak into one another's lives and into those areas of sin when sin needs to be called out and, and encouragement when encouragement needs to happen and love and grace displayed because we all need those. Just like Dr. Del Delhuse so clearly articulates, we all have a past. Our past will look very different from other people's, but we all have those things that God has led us through, that God has guided us through, ways that God has used people to speak truth into our lives. Not so that we can rest on it and and hoard those blessings, but for the good of other people, from a posture of humility. Jesus ends with this um, really interesting verse six, this really interesting language here. Uh, He says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So it feels like things are kind of rolling smoothly in the Sermon on the Mount. Everything's good. God's a loving father. Jesus says, love everyone, get along. And then all of a sudden like, Yeah, but some people Jesus is calling pigs and some people Jesus is calling dogs. And that feels really uncomfortable. Like, wait, Jesus, we thought that you were like the hippie loving Jesus. And now there's like this weird, like pigs are gonna trample me. What does that even mean? And so I think if we think through this and we see carrying this family imagery, let dad be dad. Right, my my oldest son, it's not his job to punish my younger son. Hey, hurry up and clean up because dad's coming. Right, We gotta work together, we're in this thing together as siblings, and we know what dad's like, so we should be communicating that to other people. But there are some times when one of my boys will just run and tell me like, dad, you gotta see what he did. (laughs) It is beyond word, I can't talk to this, I can't talk to my brother anymore. He just dumped out every Lego we have on the floor. Dad, you gotta come see this. There are certain times when, when we know somebody is just not in a place where our words are really gonna help. And, and I think Jesus is addressing this now. Now, he, he's not saying like, just be done with them. I, I think that they're still looking at the trajectory of the sermon. We can pray, we can love, but we understand that there are times and situations we need to be using discernment when somebody will be able to receive the words and encouragement that we have for them. One of the things that I help with at Tempe is all of our, our benevolent stuff. So um, when, when people who are experiencing homelessness come into our church, then I can work with them and, and connect them with the resources that they need. And there are just certain times, um, certain instances, when if somebody is experiencing like intense mental health or they're using substances, it's not really like I can take them through the four spiritual laws, but they're probably not in a mind state where they're even going to hear it or understand what I'm communicating to them. Jesus is calling us to use discernment, to use discernment in how we encourage and and how we point out sin in other people's lives. Now, he's not calling us again to this role of judge, but there's a time and a place. There's a time and a place. Guys, I think the way that we're able to understand when this time and place is, is really based on our relationship with the Father the better we know what dad is like, the more we understand how he wants us to live. The more time we spend in in intimacy with the father and getting to know him and understanding his word and, and praying and experiencing fellowship with other people who are like him, the better we'll know him and what he expects from us. My oldest son understands me more than my youngest son does. He spent more time with me. The same is true in our relationship with our father. And I know anytime we talk about this, especially in a room this size, it's difficult because we don't all have great relationships with our dads. I know for me, um, one of the ways that somebody has has come alongside and, and pointed out the speck in my eye, because I don't have the best relationship with my dad is those feelings of loss that expectation that I have of him that I feel like is not really met or not met well or in a safe, healthy way. I said, what if that's actually God calling me to view him as father? That what I wish my dad would fulfill in my life is actually what God fulfills in my life. That when I feel that discomfort in in hearing sermons about how great and loving and good our father is, that It's actually our our heavenly father and I can look past my dad and, and see the dad of Jesus. The dad who was always good, who was always holy, who was always faithful, who was always safe, who always has our best interests in mind. That's the goodness of the father that Jesus is pointing us to. That's the goodness of the family that he's inviting us to join, to enter into, to live life, all of life, all for Jesus alongside. You guys have a great congregation here. You're doing amazing things to impact this community. This is what God is inviting us into, to be his chosen people, not to sit as judges, but to speak truth to our siblings because the reality is dad is coming and he expects us to live like a member of his his family. And so one of the most loving things that we can do is take this posture of humility, just like Jesus did, and point out sin where there is sin. Use those experiences of, of sin and repentance and reconciliation in our own lives so that other people may more clearly see how good and loving and great the Father truly is. Will you guys pray with me? God, we thank you for today. We thank you for time together. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this community of believers. We thank you that throughout history, you have used people lovingly talking to their friends and families to tell them about you, to spread your good news that we are here today, God, because of generations of faithful people speaking the truth in love to others. God, we thank you that you started, that you initiate, that you empower all of that. We thank you for the opportunity to continue that in our own communities, in our own neighborhoods, in our jobs, at school, in our classes, as we go about day to day. Help us to see you clearly. God, help us to be open to those times when when friends in love and humility speak the truth to us so that we can more clearly communicate the goodness of your love to others. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. Help us to love each other more and help us to love your good world more. Pray all these things in your name.